G'day, guys. Welcome to this week's Hash It Out. Joe, Noah, thanks for joining once again. It's a pleasure to be here as always. I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, we've actually started to get a little bit of a following, which was pretty cool. People tuning in and uh, following along of uh, the sort of, at times, the not so sexy side of it, but still having a laugh and sort of communicating um, topics that are relevant throughout the industry. And um, at the moment, I think uh, we can probably hash it out. Uh, the subject of the bear markets, we're obviously deep into one currently and um yeah, we might sort of start discussions around that and see th- how things are sort of performing throughout the industry at this time. How are they performing? Ooh, we're going to need a drink. Pour yourself a glass of wine and something stiffer than that, Noah. <laughs> yeah, enjoy, enjoy the pain. <laughs> no, I, you know what? There's, it's a good inflection point where you can kind of look back and say, okay, well, why are we here? What are we doing? What are we building? And most importantly, does it make sense? Yeah. Right. Um, You know, because whenever you get, let's say, speculative hype cycles, um, you know, the first time around, let's say with ETH, you know, we had a lot of uh, somewhat, let's say, interesting ideas that, you know, like Dentacoin, where you can pay your dentist. That's going back a little while. Yeah, you know, at that, at some point, you know, it kind of got some hype and was exciting. Um, you know, this time around, uh, I guess we saw a lot of DeFi experiments. Um, and then I guess at some point it kind of rotated into like gaming and the metaverse and other stuff. Uh, you know, and it's good to, to kind of take uh inventory right like what 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 actually got delivered and and what was more of an idea um what will be delivered like there may be some projects that are still working on uh you know some of these concepts that may actually produce something good right but uh you know in uh, let's say retrospection um you know there's a lot to be learned i guess yeah just um, like on the DeFi side of it, like there's a lot of interesting projects and concepts and things like that that have sort of, um, whether you call them proof of concepts, uh, in a way they do work and things, but ultimately the thing that came unstuck with it all is just the degeneracy and over leverage, borrowing from one platform and moving funds to another and then putting that as collateral and borrowing against that. And like it's just a big sort of DeFi shit show. Everything was just kind of... Um, cross-collateralized and over-leveraged and everything like that. And ultimately, uh, we saw that all unwind at a great pace. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, ah, well, you know, what's a, what's a good way to put it? There's, okay, I'll start with TVL, right? That That's a popular metric that new users will be fed. Like, oh, you know, look at this TVL. Higher is better. Right. And maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, TVL can certainly reflect net leverage, right? Yep. To where if we look at something like Luna, uh, you know, where people were kind of blocking, you know, their uh, UST for return, there was a ton of TVL. Uh, but in a way, it represented risk and leverage rather than 
like uh, collateralized assets that were safe, right? It was more of a risk position with some token or reward mechanism. But, you know, there was a certain risk uh, in being in that position that's never discussed. Yeah, well, just further to that point as well is this, the legitimacy of the TBL numbers as well, because we saw ultimately what happened with um, Old Mate and his little crew on Solana and basically just pumping TBL numbers to attract people just because it does seem like an attractive metric uh, to retail. Yeah, sometimes you get into this flywheel game, right? Where, uh, you know, we certainly saw that a lot this, this last cycle where it's like, okay, you're going to get a certain APY, right? And generally higher is supposed to be better, I guess. And, you know, then there's certain incentives like, if you relock, you might get a bonus, or if you unlock, you might get slashed. So we're going to try to push as many people to uh, lock their assets as possible. And, uh, you know, it can kind of create this flywheel effect until, uh, you know, the token emissions, which is usually the reward that's being printed uh, via this nice APY, um, you know, you're creating a ton of new tokens that then the market can't absorb. And when the market can't absorb it, what happens? It goes down. We we saw that a lot in DeFi. Yeah, the crazy thing, it's like it's like gamified liquidity generation <laughs> really yeah. is yeah. what it becomes. It's like what crazy uh, flashy thing can we do to attract the most liquidity so that we can dump these tokens with as little slippage as possible. <laughs> like, you spend three days doing anything in DeFi, like playing around with any of these yield farming things, and you realize that that's what it is. Like, it, it, it very quickly, uh, I don't know, it's just, to me, it's so transparent that that's what it is. Like. It's about a gamification. Yeah, it's just gamification trying to keep people around and you better not be the last one to go <laughs> because if you are, you're fucked. Well, the, the bigger difficulty, in my opinion, is it obfuscates risk. Yeah, exactly. It hides risk, right? And, and TVL is like some, ooh, look at this high TVL number. Like that in and of itself says zero in terms of like the actual risk assessment that people need to make. And then when you get multiple protocols where it's like individually, you could say, okay, well, you know, you might have your standard smart contract risk, right? We've talked about that. Uh, then you kind of also have um, this uh, locked asset that is now being potentially leveraged, maybe, maybe not, you know, depending on, uh, what the DeFi framework is. Maybe you're subject to impermanent loss. Uh, maybe your reward itself is inflating too rapidly and isn't going to maintain value. And that's just one, right? And like there's there's this idea in DeFi, let's just plug all this shit together. And like the the 
complexity of like risk from an individual product sometimes can be a little bit questionable, right? But then when you start to stack them and then you get a derivative and then you rehypothecate the derivative to increase your leverage and, you know, you like uh, build, you know, layer on top of layer on top of layer, the TVL is like, wow, look at all of this TVL. But you're spinning, yeah, yeah, your risk like, <laughs> your leverage is is like quantifiably getting higher in um yeah, so I'm not surprised that you know most TVL took a dip uh because <laughs> you know a lot of it had to do with token printing and usually at a very increased rate with questionable use cases and what happens in that scenario when we're talking about um, you know, let's say a token, it devalues, it debases itself. Yeah, that's what I was going to raise. Just uh, once you start, stop sort of getting excited there, Joe. <laughs> um, it's just basically the money, money, the money printing. Sorry, I finally got it out. Uh, because ultimately, we saw um, basically how we got in this situation in regards with the macro sense and the the whole meme of uh, print-to-go-brr sort of side of it. And it sort of rings true of how things that were performing and the DeFi side of that with um, the issuance of tokens on whether there is an actual need uh, for an actual token itself um, outside of the base currency of the blockchain that it's actually running on. Sometimes there's probably a use case, I would say. You know, it's interesting. Bitcoin uh, came out as a response to government... Uh, intervention in monetary policy right but if we take a step back to like why did the government intervene in monetary policy it was because leverage you know things got over leveraged and were way too risky and imploded right and uh, i'm not gonna say we just kind of did that this last cycle with DeFi, but we just kind of did that this last cycle with DeFi. And funny enough, you know, there was even like a proposal anyway of like a crypto ecosystem rescue fund. You know, we're going to bail out everybody. So uh, yeah, maybe I where that went. Maybe it's I don't still know happening. <laughs> I don't know where that went, but I just I found a little bit of humor that history rhymed. Um, yeah. As terrible as that sounds, you got to enjoy life. Especially yeah, I think when... the difference. Oh, go ahead, CW. I was just going to say, especially when our industry stemmed from the the falling out of that legacy market as as we saw in was it 20 2008 2009 yeah i was just gonna say i have a feeling uh just because so much of these DeFi markets are just like meaningless moving money around to move money around and no real you know it's it's not connected to the real world in a lot of ways um I have a feeling it's going to happen again. You know, I don't think, oh. you know, 2008 was like the the breaking point uh, that you're referring to. And I don't think this will be the same <laughs> because it's sort of like off in an isolated degenerate bubble over on the side. Um, but it is an opportunity for us to reflect yeah. And um, 
you know, maybe there won't be some, there will, there will or there won't be some heavy hand that comes in, but, you know, at least we can think about it and try to do things a little bit better next time. <laughs> the industry as a whole just definitely needs to do better. Um, yep. Whether through transparency and assumptions, you will like, get on that horse and flog it again. And um, yeah, the industry just needs to do better. But I was just having a bit of a um, sort of hypothetical in my mind about in regards to like we saw a $3 trillion market cap in crypto. And I wonder how much of that was just through sort of DeFi degeneracy, like the lending, borrowing, leverage, et cetera, et cetera, instead of actual money as as, as in a traditional yeah. sense, not just sort of leverage. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like you have to ask, I feel mm. like you have to ask yourself, like what, what makes for good collateral, you know, like if mm. you're playing with any of this stuff, uh, you know, some things should not be used as collateral. If they're one, if they're already collateralized elsewhere, it's like, you're an idiot. Uh, but two, you know, is it something that's been bridged? Is it something that has other risk factors? Like you got to ask yourself what, what makes for good collateral? What are the assumptions you're making when you're playing? Yeah, that's, stuff? that's the number one problem with DeFi in my opinion is there's little to no way to actually grade risk right and, and at that point you you start getting into security land and you know i like personally i sit back and i wonder sometimes if that's not the bigger problem in the crypto industry is that everyone is 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 they need to let like be seen as an asset they're scared not to because gary might come and you know then they're in trouble <laughs> um but you know so what what happens is instead of having like okay uh, you have collective ownership or some idea of it right but if you get into profit distribution that might that might be crossing a line and you know nobody let's say in, on the legal side is going to say hey you should create a framework that's based on profit distribution rather than um a token right because if it's profit distribution then it's like you actually own something and it's a collective business and you have revenue versus if it's like here's a new token and it's for governance which <laughs> is, is kind of uh impractical in my opinion uh it's not popular to say that out loud but it's like if you have i don't know ten thousand users and a hundred trillion governance tokens like that <laughs> it's a little little out of <laughs> I don't know, out of sync with how I would think governance should work, but okay. <laughs> There's eight, what is it? Eight, eight and a half billion people on the planet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You um, know, it's still, in my mind, it's like, okay, if we were going to mature as an industry, at least on the DeFi front, we would have some ability to gauge risk in a more transparent way. Um, you know, and, and right now that's not really the case. Uh, we probably have uh, some desire to isolate like extreme leverage and, and let the DGNs have their own playground, but then have more of like core DeFi that is built for stability and built on use-based returns and profit distribution and uh, much less speculative, right? Yeah. Um, but then 
you have to ask the question, is that sexy enough that people would use it? Some would. I think miners would. You know, that's one benefit of proof of work is they come in uh, with no reward, right? They they mine, they get their payout, and then you know they can't like stake that and get extra tokens. So I, I think even uh, you know something that has relatively low yield is attractive to that subset of users. Um, but that's a totally different trajectory than how crypto is usually assimilate, assimilated. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a lot harder to bootstrap because it's less speculative and more use-based. Yeah. Yeah. It, it comes down to the sexiness of it. Why sort of have something or why interact with something that's yielding two, three, four percent, something that's reasonably sustainable, somewhat low risk. And then you're competing on the degeneracy side, like you said, they're having them having their playground and they're operating in 50% to tens of thousands percent. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's it's funny. And then more to Noah's point about the collateral as well, because having something that is a stable like store of value, for instance, like obviously Bitcoin's been touted as like a, a store of value being um the big uh, the gold 2.0 sort of standard and things like that. But look at the price fluctuations and the volatility you see. Like, how can you sort of set up a collateral position and and use that in real world sort of use cases in regards to DeFi? Like, say for instance, you put up 10 Bitcoin and you use it for a mortgage or something like that, and prices fluctuate all over the shop. Like, it's just crazy. Margins will be called, and yeah, you name it, it'll be pretty funny and wild in that respect. Yeah, it's one of those things like in, let's say, the first iteration, uh, at least on Ergo, to try to create stable value is we had to massively over collateralize a volatile asset and create some mechanism of game theory to where people could potentially profit on price fluctuations. Is it perfect? No, but at least it's been pretty stable, right? Yeah. Um, there's a ton of stable coins that have depegged. So I think that's at least some positive is that it's stayed pegged. Yep. Um, you know, in terms of Dexy, uh, that, I think that's a better iteration than SIG USD personally. I think it's more interesting because then it's like you get a uh, automated central bank, right? Because in a way, every token uh, you can kind of see as like a private central bank if you look at a token as money, right? Yep. And that's kind of where... In my opinion, DeFi gets really weird because it's like you're going to, you know, invest and lock your stuff in Noah's private central bank. You get Noah tokens, but then you're going to swap them for Joe tokens. And if you do that and reinvest them in CW tokens, then you'll get double Noah tokens. And Through the moon. <laughs> yeah. You know, things get really weird to where it's like uh, not quite sure. You know, I, I can see a lot of money printing there, but, you know, in, in terms of like value itself hard to gauge hard to gauge um you know it, it's i do think that decentralized technologies have a huge ability to interrupt um or at least create some sort of counter uh economic system to the existing financial system right i do think that as a as a technology that's within our grasp but having a ever number growing of 
private central banks printing tokens, I don't think is the way to get there. This is my unpopular opinion. That goes to basically the concepts of money and things like that as well, whether it's depending on how you sort of tokenize, whether is there a need for a token and um, the issuance of tokens and things like that. Basically, your whole monetary policy is sort of governed in that respect and how that is utilized, whether it's hard money or sort of inflationary based and everything like that. It's it's an interesting concept to think about there. I think from one perspective, you could say that, okay, uh, I... Token on top of a network is somewhat akin to a software license, perhaps, where it's like, you know, if you buy, I don't know, I guess you're not allowed to own a lot of software anymore. You kind of have to lease it. But back in the, the day, when we, of my existence, dude. Yeah, back in my back in back when I was young, we could actually own <laughs> software. We, we just had to verify that we bought it by putting in some, you know, uh, crazy little product code and to some degree you know I, I could see the use case for uh tokens where it's it's somewhat similar to that where it's it's like okay if you want to use this service you need to verify that you have uh some access to this service right um you know that makes sense and i guess on to some degree you could create a market on top of that based on demand and use where people uh, kind of speculate and trade software licenses. Um, you know, and, and in a way, I guess even ERG is kind of like a software license where you needed to execute a transaction to change state on our network, right? And uh, I guess with Babel fees, that there's some extension of that to some degree. Uh, but, you know, if if we look at it more in terms of uh, monetary policy, um, it's interesting. Um, you know, I I think there's been a lot of speculation in in our industry that uh, people now are reflecting and looking back, and perhaps you know they owned a I don't know something that at one point was worth a lot, and now they're questioning what what they were doing. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about the Ether Rocks before we, we jumped on the call. I think that's a good example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's numerous names that we could throw out there and yeah. There's so many. It's like <laughs> why what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah, listen, it, I like art, but I also don't have the pockets to just be like, Oh, it's a half a million dollar piece of art, right? I, I, I don't. I don't have that reality anyway. But the um, that's one Excuse aspect me. in regards to sort of what we saw here in the industry with the um, pretty exuberant prices, in my opinion, in regards to NFTs and things. Then also the whole speculative side in regards to assets and things, and whether it's a, an ERC-20 token that you can just spin up a contract by copy-pastering and away you go and create some hype and things like that, try and make people feel like they get in early and um, go down that road. Or you can think of something even like on the Ergo side where it's ground-up proof-of-work, um, layer-one blockchain, so much innovations and things like that as well throughout the industry um, or industry-first and things. And 
um, yeah, it's it's funny how the industry values things and and the hype that's created around certain things and the, what we sort of saw in that last uh, this last cycle. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I I tend to I don't know. I look at like the initial release that Satoshi gave with Bitcoin, where he said, okay, you know the reason why this is unique is because it removes trust and the current problem in our monetary system is all of these trusted parties um i think that as an industry just that i mean it was pretty much at the beginning of when he first released the bitcoin white paper uh i think we failed pretty hard in terms of uh not having trusted parties um you know and if i read the actual uh, Bitcoin paper and it gets into peer-to-peer cash. I think we're still working on that too, right? I, is is that a potential? Absolutely. Uh, but for me, I, I think that if we really go back to basic concepts from kind of the initial era of our industry, we still have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, and and I do think that yeah, you can take. Uh, something that you know requires no trust and you can get uh decent p2p rails moving and yeah you can build businesses on top of that you can build applications on top of that but uh you know i, I think that as a whole not just in ergo but in all cryptocurrencies we've severely uh overpromised and underdelivered just from a first principles based approach and and if we could create you know economic systems that remove trust and have clear transparency in terms of uh, the people and the parties and cryptography and uh, kind of the logic of the system, we could build some really cool shit. Uh, but you know the hype train, it just blinds people. You know, like uh, it's like okay, well, what do you want? I want an X. I want a lot of numbers in front of the X. And well, and well, what is it? I don't even care half the time if if you you know really ask people what is this and what are the assumptions and why is it important and what is it doing? I think a lot of people just don't care. Sadly, they just want number, number, and maybe another number X. Yeah, when Lambo. Yeah, when Lambo. I went through that a bit last cycle. Learned, learned my lesson quick. <laughs> it's painful because, you know, if you don't have, okay, let's just say you look at it from a purely investive in, investment standpoint, okay? I can understand that. Um, then it's all about risk assumptions, right? Yeah. It's all about understanding, like, the risk assumptions in terms of the broader market and how is it placed on in kind of the macro sense and then internally what is its growth and what is the actual technology um, but a lot of the times short-term value in hype cycles is just uh what's popular what are you what are people voting for yeah right? and, uh, yeah i remember get- <laughs> at, at my most degenerate moment <laughs> it, it was i was i was playing around with wonderland <laughs> And that that really turned out to be a winner. Um, <laughs> but that that was sort of the one like true degenerate thing that I I just wanted to like understand, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty wild. Uh, but <laughs> when you get into that world, you start to realize like how 
freaking convoluted the the user experience is. Like, you let's say you started a centralized exchange. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe you buy some USDT. You see, like if you're trying to get into some weird like four day yield farm thing on some like obscure chain, you got to send it. Maybe you got to bridge it. Maybe you got to download a new wallet. Oh, it's the wrong wallet. Doesn't support it. Now I have a different wallet, but like there's some weird discrepancy between the two wallets. Then you got to make your, oh, fuck, I don't have enough to actually <laughs> like pay for the fees. Now I got to go back and un, unbridge and bl- like it's the most clusterfuck experience uh, for real people. You know, it's like the only people doing this shit are just like the most degenerate human beings. It, it just <laughs> makes me laugh, dude. Like I, I couldn't believe what it was like going through all of that. And uh, it is what it is. <laughs> See, I like in in, in my perspective, I, I think we have to go back to first principles and say, okay, how can we deliver peer to peer cash in a better way? Right? How can and it's a peer to peer network? How can we build on that so it's more performant? Um, you know, then you get into removing trusted parties, right? And that's a whole challenge. Uh, you know, you can look at all of this drama with the exchange and, you know, it, some people are saying, oh, CZ's a scammer. And some people are saying, oh, he's, you know, he's a Jesus incarnate and he's here to save the crypto industry. Right. And the reality is nobody knows because you can't see. That's that's yeah. the funny thing to me anyway, is it's like, nobody how can knows. you have a strong opinion when everything is black? Like, you, you don't know what's we don't know. That's just the honest answer. We don't know. I hope it's there, right? It'd be good for our industry. It'd be terrible if it wasn't, but I can't tell you that it is or it isn't because I don't know. And, uh, you know, then you get into smart contracts, you know, in terms of applications, you know, how's it working? Is it safe? Is it good? I don't know if it's a black box, right? Look at wallets, the same thing. I don't know, you know, what standards are they following? How they implement things? Did they firewall and sandbox things correctly? I don't know. Right? It's, if it's not open source, I can't see. I can't see. I can't trust them. Yeah. Yeah, they're not hypothecating user funds from a wallet. Yeah, there's like, you know, on the exchange, I know I've talked about this before. There's too many vectors of attack, right? There's too many mistakes uh, that, you know, they could make or, um, you know, that uh, they could use to kind of manipulate things. You know, a p- easiest example in the world is if you had a, in exchange and you said, okay, well, I'm going to create a system that gives me a uh, slight advantage in terms of data feed for orders coming in. And I'm just going to front run everybody a little bit. And hopefully if I just scrape, you know, enough that nobody really notices instant profit. Like there's no way that we can't know that that's happening because it's a black box. There's just a ton of vectors of attack, you know, and in a way, I think, you know, at least on a DEX, uh, you can audit the smart contracts if it's built properly and make sure there's no backdoor keys or anything kind of sketchy, right? But even then, you got to deal with slippage and the potential to get sandwiched and all kinds of fun stuff if you look at, like, the broader crypto ecosystem. So there's a lot of risk assessments that we need to 
everybody needs to consider in in being in this uh in this industry and i would hope that as the industry matures um number one we realize that having a black box immediately puts back in third-party trust which we're hopefully trying to get rid of so you know why are we trying to create some new financial system with the same old shit? i don't know um and then you know you also have the <laughs> question in terms of like uh i don't know just general usability and use case rather than leverage and speculation yeah, so we have a lot to, we have a lot to do it's been pretty cool in the the last week or two weeks um I've been helping the Excel devs do some testing mm -hmm. um, with their their peer-to-peer -peer lending platform, and uh, that's that's pretty exciting. I think um, you know that's the kind of financial tools that can really help people. And I remember during the um, what was it like the not the beta, but like there was some period of time where Chris Ray had set up um, like a trial period with people on the ground in Kenya, I believe it was. Yeah. Yep. And they they had gotten like over a hundred written requests for loans or oh, something yeah. like that. Like, there's so many people that are excited to to use something like this, and um, you know. That's that's real value. So, yeah, on that one, that's what gets me world, excited. Yeah, real world use case of DeFi. You can see it's changing lives. There's, um, mm. we've actually got a, a legal entity, um, the cooperative set up there in Kenya on the ground and sort of managing reputations and things like that. Uh, it's it's pretty cool and totally grassroots and everything like that. And that's where I see the value in the industry. Um, it's changing lives it's providing funds um there's been a couple of loans that have been repaid and things like that as well like it's it's fantastic to see yeah it's huge chris is doing great work with that i respect that tremendously um you know it's I, to me i'm always more motivated in a bear market than in a bull market if i'm totally honest because in a bull market half the time i'm scratching my head looking around thinking like what the hell is that <laughs> what the hell is that right and then post like uh i don't know i get i see okay all of this let's call it failed experiments or experiments that didn't quite work out as people hope there's a ton of uh learning there that that we can take as an industry saying okay well you know it's like uh you can look at DeFi, right so much of DeFi had zero inclination in terms of okay what is the risk here what are the risks and are they clear and what are you how are you creating leverage or uh creating vulnerability in your position and you know how could we minimize that and make it more performant or uh let's say more based in reality versus uh token games you know if you look at i uh, like gaming i think could be very big vector in our industry in, in terms of growth and, and adoption, uh, getting people to use blockchain without necessarily 
realizing they're using blockchain, but gaming has a long runway in terms of development and, and pushing out uh, really quality products. That's not an easy industry um, at all. You know, music, I think, could be huge, but then it's a matter of how do you create grassroots community and type of that type of engagement. And, you know, um, I, I do think, like, from the bottom up, there's a lot of ways we could look at different segments of our industry and look at what kind of didn't work and gather data and learn and try to make it more grounded in reality uh, versus just... Uh, a little bit insane sometimes. Yeah, I, I think with crypto, you see a lot of um, people trying to create products that nobody is really asking for so that they can hopefully make some money off of it. Um, I, think, I think sometimes like you, even there's good ideas. It's just people try to hack things. Like they try to hack growth and adoption and, right. you know, like like something like uh like music or or games mm -hmm. like that that's you know whether there's real use and utility and use case there or not it's like that has just has to natch the the gaming industry is such a behemoth you know like you can't shortcut that you can't just jump the line and integrate into a worldwide industry um and you know with marketing and things like that you can promise you can promise your, your all your dreams come true and we're gonna be uh the best thing out there but that's that's why i really respect what mick is doing with blitz because you know he's he actually this morning on a twitter space he said the blockchain integration aspect of my project is the part that I'm least excited about. <laughs> Gamer, like that, that's always been the thing I've liked about Mick is that he, he's building something he has passion in. So if I'm sure yeah. if he built a game that he wouldn't play, he's going to be pissed because he wouldn't exactly. want to play. Exactly. And that's the kind of mentality that I think we need in all aspects of this space. You know, it's like, who's asking for this? Is anybody asking for this? If people are, are we ready for it? You know, like those, those are. I, I, I think, questions I think a little ask. bit differently than that, to be honest. I think that if you want to replace an old system, you need to make it obsolete. And you need, we need to understand where the old system is more obsolete and attack those vectors because that's how we outperform it. Right. And then ultimately you deliver a better product and then people will use it. It's so like in the gaming side with Mick, he's saying, okay, blockchain makes a lot of sense as a backend because then my game will outlive me, right? Versus people spending credit card money on, I don't know what, blue diamonds or random stuff on their phone. Um, and you know, who knows if like, maybe there's short-term like entertainment there, but you know, what if the game fails or they don't update it or something like that? I've only done that once and it was on accident and I gave my niece my phone is the password. And she called <laughs> My Little Pony, like dress up stuff is like $200 mistake. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. But if it were on blockchain, I would still own it, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, it's oh, um, man. It it just goes to show as well, like we're in a disruptive industry with disruptive technology as well. And um like look about it from like a banking perspective, we're taking on a huge conglomerate of financial products and trying to sort of decentralize that. Um, same with the gaming. And then also like even the music industry, I think from the like a, an example there from the music industry, there's been a big movement for independent artists trying to get their cut for royalties and things like that. Um, it kind of goes sort of to the point where Joe was talking about earlier around um, profit sharing and things like for for artists. Like that's that's one use case that I can just think of my, off the top of my head for that one, like um, distributing um, incentives as a whole for the entire industry, not sort of like there's just, yeah, just a couple of things there that sort of come to mind. Well, you even CW you have an interesting story about how you first found Bitcoin, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, share a little bit about that if you want me to go on with that. I think I think that's a it's a good it's a good point in terms of like disruption. How it outperformed? Yeah, well, so uh, for those who aren't aware, I was looking to well, I was in America at the time, and I needed to transfer uh, some money from Australia to a US bank account. I looked into a couple of options, um, traditional banking, there was TransferWise, I think, at the time, and then a couple of other sort of third-party things. But the whole process around trying to move my funds in that respect, it was going to take a total of two weeks and then also a couple of thousand dollars to actually transfer the money as well. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. So um at the time, I wasn't into crypto or anything like that. Like, oh, yes, I've heard of Bitcoin. I'm still kicking myself. I didn't go head over heels into it <laughs> back, in that time, back in those days. Um, but ultimately, found Bitcoin, bought it. I was transferred. Well, basically, I wasn't transferred. I just um, bought on an Australian exchange, transferred to an American exchange, and I had my funds in a couple of hours. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just the whole process. Um, taking out all those sort of central entities where everyone has to take their cut along the process of the entire sort of side of it. Um, yeah. And then just the time frame, like it's, it's just a, it's a proven point there where we do have a great technology. I utilized it and um, that's going back. What are we now? God, seven, almost eight years. That's God. I feel old. It, uh, you know, it, it basically disrupts the, that, particular aspect of the payment system because it can outperform it yeah yeah right exactly right and you know the, there are use cases you know in, in in business and financial products and uh, payment systems where we have the ability to disrupt existing systems because they kind of suck you know and that's really where we should focus as a whole not just ergo but I would love to see the, the crypto industry get back to that rather than, you know, in more being we're going to create a new token or print new money and then we're going to sell the new money. Yeah. Like just, just think about that scenario as well from the fee perspective. Like where does the, I don't know, a few thousand dollars from the legacy side, where does that go? You know what I mean? Like it's a, just to shareholders or people lining executive pockets or whatever, you know what I mean? Then ultimately mm -hmm. ended up being able to transfer X amount of dollars for, I don't know, I don't know what the fees were back then. I can't remember. 10 bucks maybe. I don't know. 
Yeah, so, you know, I, I do think that if we engineer these systems well and we really look at use cases where we have the ability to deliver hopefully permissionless open source products that just remove intermediaries and provide value, um, there's some magic in that. And, you know, you disrupt the old, you don't compete with it, you don't try to blend with it, you simply make it obsolete for some people. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's numerous sort of things, and it's just the evolution of business and things like that as well. Like, was did Rome get too big to fail and things like that? Like, obviously stretching too far, and obviously at the time people wouldn't have thought that a big entity like Roman Empire could have fallen, things like that. But um, just goes to show that any sort of industry, any entity, um, can be overrun by someone doing it bigger and better, or, or from the failings of that entity themselves. Yeah, so, you know, bear markets, for me, it's time for post-mortem, right? I, I look at different things that failed, why they failed, and hopefully, you know, we build better products in the future, looking at the failures from the past, why things move the way they did or how they didn't work out as um, anticipated, because I do think there are good ideas in the space. Sometimes I think people are a bit naive in terms of like delivery and selling things way too early. Uh, but in terms of good ideas, I do think there are a lot there. There's you know a lot that we can do with this technology. So, you know, when you, know, you run into people every once in a while, crypto's dead, right? <laughs> uh, you know, in a way, it's, it's just need, like some of the old rot needs to basically move back into the earth, become nutrients and be reabsorbed into something new that does a better job than a lot of products that we've seen. And, you know, we might be in uh, bear territory for a while, right? So uh, me, I'm going to settle in and I'm going to look back and, and learn from not only my mistakes, but other projects and uh, see what we can learn moving forward. Yeah, it's unfortunate being a holder of a crypto dick butt that's now only worth a couple of dollars. <laughs> Doge Elon Mars has still got a higher market cap than Ergo, so... That's because you know people. More people voted for it. Like the the dog coin thing was a whole mania for what two weeks, and you know, then a lot of people moved a lot of money into it, and now what? You know, there there's a saying in terms of like they're bag holding, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people right now that are bag holding with a little bit of regret, and maybe even in the Ergo ecosystem, right? But at least uh, in our ecosystem, we're trying to think into the future and try to deliver um, products that can create real value, right? Yeah, that's the exciting part that always I look back forward or look back forward. Um, I look back on in regards to sort of the sentiment around Ergo and um, just the strength of the development and things like that <laughs> within the ecosystem, the growth that we saw when the bull market basically started, we pretty much didn't have any wallet to be honest um and then look how far we've come as an ecosystem to where we are today and it's still the people are still building continuing to build through the bear and we're having nice solid conversations robust dis discussions within the community itself um about how we should be doing things how we should be running things um yeah the accountability and everything like that which is making for a strong even stronger foundation to build upon no, I agree. I, you know, if uh, 
if crypto can live up to its initial promise and actually, you know, remove trust and deliver kind of a peer-to-peer cash-like experience and then add a little bit of logic to where, you know, we can build collective businesses and entities and collaborate in a decentralized way to create economic value. That's huge. That's huge. That could change a lot of lives. So that's ultimately the goal in my mind. The question is, uh, you know, how do we get there the right way? Because, you know, when we start reinserting a lot of old concepts and, uh, I don't know, building with the wrong principles, I don't think we'll get there. And, you know, if if, uh, people build just for net speculation and honeypot new people and uh, try to extract as much value as possible, you know what, if the regulators come, you know, in a way they kind of earned it. Yeah, that's that's very sound advice and um, very well to end uh, this sort of hash it out. We're coming up to time. We're up around sort of 50 minutes, I think. Um, Any last words? I think this could be our last uh, hash it out for the year as well. Yeah, you got to enjoy Christmas. Uh, I hope everybody out there has a good holiday, you know, whatever. Whatever you do, uh, celebrate in style, have fun with your family, eat good food, have a good time. Just have fun. Yeah, life was, is. Was it Alex said that? That said that. Just yeah, just have fun. fun. Life is too short to, you know, not take the time to enjoy wherever you're at and whoever you're with. Yeah, well Very said. well said. Um, I myself, I'll be eating way too much as always, so I'll be coming. Back uh, into the new year, probably a few kilos heavier. And um, yeah, really look forward to just letting myself go. (laughs) (laughs) Just have fun. (laughs) Exactly. All right, gents, it's been a pleasure chatting. Um, I think we've been, I think we're up around, we'll be close to around 30 episodes, I think. So I think that's pretty well, um, pretty good to maintain uh, the, the weekly sort of discussions and the subjects that we dive into each week. So it's been a pleasure. Uh, chatting throughout this year thanks very much yeah we'll see you in the new year all right guys take care thanks for tuning in have a good one